0: listening to the fantasy sports radio network fantasy sports today
2: and away we go. Dan Traver, Mike Bluett with you here on Fantasy Sports Today, right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, a jam-packed three-hour show coming your way from 8 to 11 on the East Coast. Thanks so much for joining us here on FNTSY. Find us on Twitter at FNTSY Radio. Of course, it's at Mike Blewett, at Dan Traver. If you want to talk to us, feel free to tweet at us. We'll answer any questions here on the air. Mr. Blewett, we have a lot to get to, but
1: I'd like to know how you're doing. What's going on in your role, Mike? I am, uh, you know, reveling in what is one of my favorite weekends of the year. I always take a lot of time to watch as many games as possible over these first four days, and I'm right on pace. You know, today we actually have St. Patrick's Day in my town, so we have a little parade here and... You know, everybody gets into it, so we'll be taking the kids over there for that afterwards, and then I'll go straight back to watching games.
2: There you have it. Uh, St. Patrick's Day was big around this part. The two older girls do the uh, Irish step dancing, so we oh, were nice. in and out of uh, pubs <laughs> with yeah. them, which is always which is always intriguing, but uh, lots of fun last weekend. Don't have any spillover this weekend, but uh, plenty of birthday parties. Uh, it seems like March and, and April are ripe with uh, birthday parties for the. Uh, kindergarten through uh, five age bracket. So
1: Yeah, so we were we were both off last week. I was in Charleston, South right. Carolina, had a weekend off at the Buddies, and you were doing a draft, correct?
2: Correct. I was in New York Friday night for one of the Tout Wars draft. How was that? It went well. Uh, f- a mixed head-to-head auction. Uh, the points uh, they have, so it's head-to-head points, and the way they have scoring makes Max Scherzer about as valuable as Josh Bell which makes for very interesting uh, drafting uh, in a room where people aren't necessarily sure how they should be spending their money. Uh, But it was fun. It's always great to catch up with all of uh, the baseball world. Frank was there. Frank Stanfall got to meet him in person for the first time. uh, I I was hanging out
1: with Frank yesterday actually watching games.
2: Yeah, uh, good guy. Got to talk to him uh, up and down the the sports spectrum, and just the all the guys uh, you know from this network and from other networks, and from uh, all the sites out there. So it was it was so a ton it was fun mixed, of fun. Mixed auction, mixed auction head to head points. Head
1: points. Got it. And Frank was in that league. Who else was in that league? Frank. Frank was
2: not. Frank was out at Foley's oh. After the fact, so I got to catch got up with him. Um, you had. Uh, uh, Prospect Jesus, which is Ralph Lifschitz. You had Andrea Lamont, uh, who you may know as know Roto her. Lady. Um, you had Joe Pizapia, Jake Sealy, Paul Spore. Um, a little bit of a, both of
1: those, both a, exactly came, right.
2: So. And uh, uh, Paul Spore is a really nice guy. Ian Khan, Paul who is uh, a really
1: nice guy and competitive.
2: He oh, Spore is awesome, and Spore is about. Five inches taller than I thought he was. Which was yeah, yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. Random. like oh, I'm like a tall,
1: Long tall drink of water. Um he's he's on Twitter like at Sporer, I think S P O R uh S P O R E R. So he's really knowledgeable baseball guy. Uh I interviewed him last year during that same weekend. Uh, it just so happened that I was out. Uh, we probably would have done that again this year, but uh, you know, such is life. We were uh uh, we were on. I was on vacation and you were doing one of the drafts. So, Alright, well, we'll get into March Madness and stuff, but I want to hear about this team first. Well, who did you end up... I'm doing a draft tomorrow, by the way, and I'm in the league with... That's like a house league. I'm doing it with uh, the producers uh, of all the various shows. So Frank is going to be one of the guys in the league. Uh, Steve, Alex, all those... Uh, the whole crew uh, of people is doing it, I believe. So... Get, who's the highlight of your team? Who was your first round draft? Or who's your? Well, it's an auction, so it's not a draft like that. But who is your? Who did you spend the most money on?
2: Well, it was uh, I, I went heavy on shortstops. Uh, I ended yeah. up uh, with uh, Seeger and Story. Um, I went with Machado, so I there was value in the middle infielders. A uh, yeah, a lot of home runs, not a ton of stolen bases. I'm going to be a little bit weak there. If uh, it's a weird league because it is head to head points, but you also track the categories and get points for that. So it's sort of scoring all over the place and going to be a a learning experience as I go on the pitching side. I spent $15 on a bunch of pitchers. So I got Strasburg for 15. I got Paxton for 15. uh, I got Sonny Gray for seven, uh, which I'm a big fan of uh, Sonny Gray this year out of New York. You told me you
1: told I saw you tweeted that You, you noticed that you're having you just have a lot of Sonny Gray across your leagues this year.
2: More more than I would prefer, is, is the way I would say it. But I, I just think it's a bounce-back spot, and he's going for pennies on the dollar uh, when it comes to ADP or auction value. So if he returns to any sort of his Oakland form, uh, I, I think I'm, I'm profiting handsomely off that buy. Um, and then you had to have two relief pitchers. That was a bit of a mess for me. I didn't lean in on closers until late. So I have like Will Smith on the roster. Sonny Gray does qualify as a relief pitcher because of his appearances for the Yankees last year, um, which will help me out immensely. Being able to slot him into that roster spot uh, and pick up the, the extra points uh, from the starter instead. But it's going to be a fun one to track. Uh, it's going to be one that uh, there are going to be deals. There are going to be lots of deals. I think lots of trades. Some people really bulked up on just closers trying to game the system and the scoring system. Uh, some try to pay heavy on pitchers just like you would in a typical draft. You um, have to have,
1: but, min- you uh, have minimums, though. Uh, you have you certainly have no. minimums of innings pitched. No minimums of no, innings aren't. pitched?
2: No, being it's not a roto, really?
1: it's sort of straight, yeah. So you so can just, a, you can't just yeah. go closers and try to keep your ratios down and – Exactly. Everything
2: else. So we, it's it's going to be a fun one. And uh, I'm trying to think of who uh, Ryan Bloomfield uh, from uh, Baseball HQ was in the room. Um, I have said Ian Khan, who plays Washington on the show Turn, uh, was in the room. <laughs> uh, he's a, a big prospect and fantasy baseball guy. Um, uh, I think that's uh, that's uh, uh, Link from uh wire Clay Link from Rotowire was there. Yeah. So that's pretty much the. The majority 12, of the room, I'm sure, 12 I'm getting one or two people. Yep, nice. Twelve team head to head. That's good. Uh, All right, man. Well, what, good luck. Well, we'll keep in touch on that. I'll keep everybody up to date as we roll through and tell you how badly it's going. Sometime in June, and then <laughs> and
1: I'll tell you how badly I, I'm getting my tail kicked in by uh, the, the producers of our shows <laughs> at some point. A, Baseball is right. a grind, man. It's a it grind. Is. I did, I did two leagues last year. One was just a random league, and I won that one. Um, And then the other one was I did with George Kurtz. But the funny thing is, it was George, like one of George's home leagues that he's associated with. There was really no money on the line, I don't think. It was just for fun. Or or he didn't tell you there was any money on the line. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. Well, I didn't give him any money, so I don't feel bad about it. But the funny part is it was, and I don't, you know, I would play in a lot of, like, daily leagues where you can make daily changes to the lineups. Right. And this one was just you got to put in your lineups on Sundays. You know, you do your you, – you make your changes Sunday – night you, on Sunday, it locks at Monday at whatever, you know, first pitch on Monday. And you made your changes for the week. And I kept going in there for like the first two months of the season to make changes, (laughs) and every time George had already done it, because George is on it, you know, George is writing about baseball and he's doing (laughs) excuse me, (laughs) the Sunday show, so he was always on it, and every time I went to make a change, it was like, oh George already made the change I was going to make so like halfway through the season I was like, well every time I go on here, George has already done it, and George knows more about fantasy baseball than I do, so (laughs) So I'm not going to argue with it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. We weren't doing that well. But I could tell by the trans- transactions he was making, like we were sort of built for the long haul. Yep. And sure enough, after the All-Star break, things started to turn around a little bit. And we were hovering really around fourth or fifth most of the season. I don't want to say we finished regular season in fourth, but one in the playoffs and won the Won the title, so I was in two leagues. Won them both last year. I have a feeling your league's going to be slightly more competitive than the one.
2: I <laughs> well, I mean, you get into these home leagues, and I'm I'm a big proponent of know your rules, know your league, right? And that's how I talk about fantasy baseball. We have some time later on to maybe dive into a little bit more strategy. But uh, it, you get into these home leagues that are probably even more competitive, and someone like George, someone like yourself, someone like me, or or uh, Joe Pisapio who I'm in a bunch of leagues with we have a little bit of marks on our back. You know, we talk about this oh, stuff on, on a daily yeah. basis. There's a bit of pride on the line where we get paid to do it. Our friends and our family and even, you know, friends of friends who are in leagues with us, they, they come after us a little bit more. And that's that's not a bad thing. I'm not trying to make it sound, uh, you yeah. know, like I'm I'm a victim in any way, but no, I they think should. they become more they competitive that way. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a, a fun aspect of it all uh, as you play – uh fantasy baseball and it, Mike said it, it's a grind. You're in it for 6 months. You are in it for for 6 months and if you're doing daily transactions and daily lineup setting, uh, I'm not as big a proponent of of daily transactions. Daily lineups fine. Uh daily transactions is a bit much. Uh but uh you're 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 going to be in the slog and if you play DFS as well, then you're really in it and you really are diving in each and every day to mini uh, mini leagues and mini seasons, and trying to figure it all out on a day by day basis, which I do. I do. Uh, I'm a, a big fan of uh, MLB DFS and looking forward to that kicking off in the not too distant future. But cool. uh, we do have, Mike, the NCAA tournament, as you said, uh, is in full gear. We had the first two days. We move on to round two on Saturday and Sunday. Figure we could go region by region, do a little recap, talk about the yeah. games, talk about what games are coming up. But overall, and not looking for you or I to be a bracketologist or or anything, but did anything stand out to you with the field of 68, with the 64 teams that made it uh, to the tournament proper uh, that stood out as a glaring problem for you or something that in hindsight, you wish the the selection committee had reconsidered?
1: I don't think so. You know, over time and look, I I've been a college basketball fan from a really early age. So, and college basketball Has changed a lot. Now, you have to consider when I first got cable television, I was 12 years old, 13 maybe, and I was dying for cable television because of ESPN. Right. It was the only reason I wanted cable. And and I didn't think we had like HBO or anything like that to start out with just Just the basic basic package. package. And I was dying for ESPN because I knew basically like my town rolled out cable television like half the town got it so like for my friends in my grade school had had cable for like almost a year before I got it and I was dying because ESPN like anybody that knows the history of ESPN realizes that ESPN was built on the back of college basketball yep period there was a lot of weird kind of stuff that you could watch back in the day and I, I could tell you I know how to like if I watch an Australian rules football. Yep, yep. I can tell you the rules because the scoring is fantastic. Yeah, the scoring. I know. I know a lot of the rules. I've probably forgotten some, but I know a lot of the rules. And it isn't. And it. I could probably watch it on any one of my 500 cable channels now. I don't really watch it anymore. But uh, if it's on in a pub somewhere in Manhattan and, and I'm out one night, I could tell you the the gist of it, and I can ter- certainly tell you the scoring. They used to have Timber Sports. I don't know if you remember that back in the day. They have these like, yep. outdoorsman competitions. But realistically, much of the content was uh, college basketball, notably the Big East, which was the conference since I grew up in New York City. It is the conference that I watch primarily. So, I, I set all that up to say, I've been watching a lot of college basketball from an early age. And I loved it, and I still love it. So, But while the sport has changed a lot in so far as instituting one-and-done scenario, that phenomenon, that will probably go away soon. But, you know, in in that way, it it makes you wistful for old-school college basketball in that way because teams – the big name teams and teams that were good were these veteran teams. You got to know who Chris Mullen was and Patrick Ewing was. Right. And, you know, there's very few rare, rare was a guy like Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, who left a year earlier, I'd say a Thomas who left early, they would get hardships and leave uh, hardship consideration and leave. But in that sense, that's different. But what I don't do anymore is I don't really bitch about the bracket too much you know what I mean? Like, if you're a bubble team and you're out, you probably didn't play your way in. Sorry, NC State. Don't have a terrible uh, out-of-conference schedule. It's the worst in the nation. Don't do that. Or, you know, sorry to the other teams that missed out, but, you know, don't lose 14 or 15 basketball games during a season, and you won't be in that position. Um, As far as certain brackets looking tougher than others, like, yeah, Gonzaga's road looks a little tougher, but... You know what? These teams get knocked off and then the, before you know it you're playing a 12 seed and like if you're Gonzaga and you have to end up playing Murray State for example, yeah, they have a great player, but you got to beat them. Like if you're a top 4 seed, there's no complaining. You got to run you're going to run into good teams eventually anyway. It's a really difficult to win this tournament. So I can't really get I I usually don't get into how teams got screwed or how teams get hooked up, or I do it less than I used to. Like When you look back at Syracuse's title with Carmelo Anthony, Syracuse got a gift that year. They played two games in Boston. They played two games in Albany, and it was like home games. They had four home games before they got to the Final Four, and they ended up winning. So we'll get into the nitty-gritty of this tournament. Sorry for the diatribe, but I wanted to give people a sense of how much I love this. (laughs)
2: Absolutely. And we're going to get more of that passion on the other side of this break as we go region by region, break down the games thus far and what matchups are coming up, and some of the top stories from each region as well. Will we talk Tom Izzo? Potentially. That's on the other side of this break. Dan Strafford, Mike Bluett right here on the Fantasy Sports Today, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back with
0: more after this.
2: here on Fantasy Sports Today. Dan Strafford, Mike Blewett with you this Saturday morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. We're talking NCAA Tournament to start here. uh, Obviously, the all-encompassing March Madness is upon us and lots of storylines to get to across each region. Want to talk about the East first uh, where Duke is just a machine. And yes, they... (laughs) My first half seemed like they were disinterested, seemed like they were you know, playing to the level of their opponent, and NDSU seemed up to the task for a little while, and I'm sure there were some Duke fans out there who were saying, nope, nope, can't do this, can't have this happen to us, that's not how this is supposed to go, we're supposed to get to the Final Four with Zion, it's, it's going to happen. And then the second half, Zion Williamson is just... He's elite. He's elite, and I don't know what his NBA you know career is going to be. I I do wonder if he is going to be the savior these teams think he's going to be. But as far as college players go, and a player at his age, he's a wonder to watch. And and they ran away in the second half and really put their stamp on that game.
1: He's so clearly the best player in college hoops that it's hilarious. I think John Morant is is great, and R.J. Barrett is has some really interesting projections as a pro, but Zion is so clearly the best player yep. uh, and he proved it last night. Just to, the athleticism that he has is as somebody that's 67285 who frankly isn't even in his best shape yet, right like he still like looks like a kid who has baby fat on him. Yep. he it's just really pretty incredible to watch. the the tip steel, That he chased down, dribbled the ball behind his back, lost his balance, and laid it in with his left hand is uh, amazing. Just an amazing play. For those of you that haven't seen the highlight, just look it up. Just go watch the highlights on whatever site has them, and you'll see what we're talking about. So he shot 12 of 16 last night, and as I said to you before the show, I think if Zion shoots 75% for, for the rest of the tournament, they're going to be all right. They did shoot forty-two percent from three last night, which yep. is a good sign for them. Now, granted, they're playing a far inferior opponent. They scored fifty-four points in the second half to give everybody right. sense. I wonder. I didn't read or I didn't see if Coach K said he ripped them at halftime, but I would imagine a four-point lead at halftime was not good enough for him. I wonder if he just ripped them and, uh, or if he just said, "Look, it's time to turn it up a notch," and they did. You know, they beat him fifty-four. 35 in the second half i don't believe they covered though they only won they didn't buy yeah they only they did won not by 23 these, yes yeah, 23 so um i did not have a good day with my wagers <laughs> yesterday i first day i went four and two yesterday sort of gave it all back i think i went two and four i had the B- buffalo arizona state over but whatever we can get into that game a little bit later as far as duke is concerned uh i've done multiple brackets and i do have them winning one of them uh i I think shooting, they're not a great outside shooting team. and I think that right. could hurt them uh, if they run into Michigan State and Michigan State has a good game. But I really do, th- I've thought from the beginning of the year, if Duke plays their best games, I don't think they can be beat this year. That's just yeah. how I feel.
2: It It is strange to talk about a Duke team not being very good from outside. You, you have yeah. this run of all of these uh, gritty Outside shooters, uh, take that word for what it's worth, but uh, guys who just could light it up from deep if they needed them to, and there's not necessarily that go-to guy on this team. It's it's full of uh, a lot of great basketball players, but not necessarily s- somebody who's dead red from, from outside. And to see them shoot 42%, and you're, you're right, the opponent, not the greatest, uh, but if that is a legitimate upside for them from three, and Zion shooting even 60% or above, it's going to be really tough to, to see yeah. them losing to anyone. They have UCF next, um, UCF coming up big over VCU. I, I still think Duke rolls here, but there's some athleticism on this uh, Golden Knights team that could be uh, at least make this a fun game tomorrow i don't see a line as of yet but i'll double check that as we go through uh liberty yeah one of the keep in three
1: mind, keep in mind north dakota state for the record north dakota state was a losing basketball team when they entered right. their conference tournament so uh good for them that they got to the tournament but uh you know they're the worst team they're they're the worst team in the tournament according to the seedings or amongst the worst teams according to the seedings i guess fairly dickinson uh would be one of those teams as well but nonetheless uh, good game, good start for Duke, and uh, on to the next game. game. So you said Liberty with the big upset.
2: Yeah, there were three 12 uh, winners. So you had three of the 12 seeds in the 12-5 matchup get the win. Liberty was one of them, 80-76 to over Mississippi State. They now get Vatech in uh, round two. Vatek over St. Louis, 66-52. I'll be honest, Virginia Tech's one of those teams I don't know a ton about in this tournament. I- I've watched them play once or twice this year, but uh, not really a-, a team that I read a lot about, not a team I tracked a-, a ton. Liberty's a team that could do some damage here. Do you think this is a, a good matchup, or do you think uh, the ACC team rolls uh, to face probably Duke in the next round?
1: So I, I think... I think the interesting dynamic is that the Virginia Tech coach is already rumored to be leaving, uh, oh, taking sure. the vacant Texas A&M job. So I wonder if that becomes a huge distraction for the players because they know that their coach is out, like their coach right. is done. Like I read that story three days ago that he's leaving, uh, and that could be a distraction. Now they took care of business against St. Louis, but is this upstart liberty team give them a run i mean you know liberty put some points on the board yesterday in beating mississippi state it wasn't some slog fest they hit a bunch of shots late they won 80 to 76 so if and virginia tech they don't play usually from my knowledge they don't usually play up in that range in the 80s you know they want to keep it a little bit lower and they won the game 66 won their game 66 52 so I just wonder, you know, is I, of all the 12 seeds, Liberty was not the one that I expected to get on a run. In fact, I, I think in all my brackets, I had them losing. I had Murray State winning in every bracket uh, with the Oregon-Wisconsin thing. I think I hedged a little bit on that one. And then the other, what's the other 12 seed? New Mexico State. So yeah, they were close. They were close um, to getting that as well. Anyway, uh, I don't know. I don't think UCF is going to be, I don't think they're going to really push Duke that much. They have a really interesting player, Taco Fall. For those of you that haven't seen him, he's the tallest player, uh, he's the tallest basketball player in the world, I would imagine. He's seven foot seven.
2: He's seven seven, I think that, yeah.
1: He's got an eight, over an eight foot wingspan. Uh, surprisingly athletic for somebody his size. So um, he's an interesting guy to watch. I think everybody will get to know him now because he's playing Duke. But, um, I was bummed that they beat VCU. I have friends that uh, work in the athletic department of VCU, uh, and I wanted to see them win. But anyway, uh, so yeah, Duke, UCF, Liberty, Virginia Tech. I think it's just lining up for Duke to be in the Elite Eight.
2: So uh, exact numbers here: Taco Fall is seven foot six inches, a okay. uh, with a that makes him one of the forty tallest people in the world per yep. ESPN. Uh, Fall has bulked up his frame to three hundred ten pounds. Ah. Wow, is he really that a, heavy? Damn. That's amazing. He looks so thin <laughs> being that tall. I know. But, uh, fall is 23. Manute Bull was 7 7. So Manute Bull is still the tallest to have played in the NBA. And obviously, Bull Bull is 7 3 and was playing for Oregon before getting hurt. You assume Bull Bull goes to the NBA next year. Uh, these guys can, well, I guess Fall is 23, so he's he's probably done growing. But Bull Bull, I think, is 19 or 20 and could have another. Uh, small growth spurt in him as he uh, heads towards the NBA, but 300 pounds is insane on that tall a player uh, simply because the, the knees and the ankles uh, bearing that weight all the time seem to lead to bad things. Rounding out uh, the East don't want to belabor too much on each uh, region, but great discussion as we go through Maryland over Belmont close game. Uh, This is a Maryland team that uh, I've, I've, had a tough time getting an identity from exactly who they want to be uh, in this tournament and in the year. Uh, seemed to be one in the Big Ten that would go on some of these runs that would make a ton of sense. You saw the talent rise and you saw the defense really lock down. And then all of a sudden, it just seemed as if though the team was disinterested and, and they didn't show up for certain games. LSU beat Yale 79-74. They got tested uh, in their matchup. Uh, here in the east so it's LSU and Maryland feels like a game LSU should win but both teams played tight games round one uh, do you have any take here on uh, Terrapins uh, versus uh, LSU
1: yeah I expected both of them to lose in the first round Did I had it? Belmont and I had Yale if Yale hit any kind of shot they would have won that game they missed everything they were so bad from three that it gave out L- it- Kept the door open for LSU, and L- LSU had the lead, frankly, most of the game because Yale was continuously missing shots. And on the other side, really, both Belmont and Maryland couldn't hit their threes. But I, just, man, I thought Belmont. I thought Belmont. Belmont had them, uh, but they got outplayed the second half. They had a six-point lead at halftime. They got outplayed the second half. They missed. In fact, Maryland. I think they hit a free throw to go up 79-77, and then Belmont gets a rebound or the the inbound. I'm trying to remember. But they had the ball with a ton of time. They were holding it for last shot. They didn't have any timeouts, but they had a ton of time to set up, and they kept waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting to run in, to run their offense, and Maryland ended up playing good D, but they chucked up just a really bad shot at the end. Um Trying to win it, I think try to win it with a three. From what I remember, you know, all these games kind of blend together. But yep, they. I, I just thought Belmont blew that opportunity, and on the Yale side of things, I, I, I just don't. I and mean, they missed a million shots. They really did. They, they, it was there for them to take, and I just thought LSU with the suspended Will Wade, I, I just didn't think they were going to be able to pull it off, and they did. So yeah, what did they shoot? Twenty-one percent from three. Eight of thirty-seven. Wow and and LSU was bad too but they were 4 of 17 8 of 37 from 3 they shot 27 for 72, oh, 72. on the game
2: oh my lord
1: so they you know they, took I, 11 I, more shots so, than LSU so i, I can't I, i'm going to keep i'm going to bet i'm going to hedge against LSU the whole tournament and i, I think it probably ends for them today I think it's got to be a really difficult dynamic for the players with the, you know, the coach brought it upon them. But so be it. Uh, I actually like Maryland in this game today.
2: All right. Uh, I'll check the line momentarily. I want to round out the East here and probably we'll discuss this. Not at length. It's been discussed more than we need to get into here. But, yeah, Michigan State and Minnesota. And you've had one of the bigger storylines of the tournament outside of gameplay. Tom Izzo getting into the face of one of his players, uh, throwing a bit of a temper tantrum himself on the sideline. You can see where I'm leaning uh, in this discussion, uh, but you get a big 10 matchup here too, uh, which uh, I don't know that a ton of people are fans of this early on, but Minnesota is one of those strange teams that you didn't really know if they were going to make the tournament. They, they faltered down the, the, down the stretch seemed like a team that may fall out of the tournament as uh the uh, little, uh, little Patino, what which uh, what's Richard, it? Richard, Richard Patino. Right. Yeah. Uh, lost games that they should not down the stretch. Uh, cough, cough. They lost to Rutgers. Um, 68-64. Uh, but they did right the ship. They were able to, to pick up wins against Northwestern and Purdue and Penn State and Purdue again. Then they lost to Michigan. Uh, but any thoughts here? Let's talk game first. And then if we have time, we can touch on the the narrative that is Tom Izzo, uh, Michigan State wins this going away, right? Like this seems like a game that Michigan State probably wins by 15 or 20.
1: Yeah, I, I was actually surprised that Minnesota beat Louisville. I expected Louisville to, to take that one. So you could see this, th- like this east bracket for me, it's a good thing that I'm leaning on Duke and Michigan State because I got all the upsets wrong. I, I didn't pick the 12-5 there. And I picked Belmont and I picked Yale. And so I'm over 3 just with those. And I certainly thought Louisville was going to win. So there's another one I got wrong. So those brackets are, are blown up. But, yeah, I think, I think this is a collision course for Michigan State and Duke. It looks more like that now than it did even a couple of days ago. I just think there's not going to be anybody in either of their ways to take them out. Uh, so, yeah, I like Michigan State. We 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 should yeah we'll get the lines on all of these so I'm looking at that one right now actually give me a second Michigan State now that's that'll be tomorrow or is that today
2: Michigan State game I believe is today should be today because they play yeah tonight there it is seven 10. so
1: they're laying ten that's a lot
2: there's a lot that's a conference lot. conference game second time they play this year you can buy into that narrative a little bit um,
1: I think if, I take Michigan I, I just think Minnesota I would play. probably lay off this game sure but. But I do like Michigan State. I, I would lay the points there. I, I don't think Minnesota's going to keep it particularly close. Uh, and to talk about the story line, <sighs> I think he'll probably think, uh, maybe think twice about, like, really wagging his finger at somebody like that. But it isn't a big deal. I thought, I thought the best point I, that was made was on, I think it was by, I want to say it was Seth Davis because he okay. was talking with Candace Parker and Brendan Haywood on that show. You know, there's how, there's multiple studio shows going on. I think that yep. was the one. He, said he was saying that while it the optics are bad, he does have the kind of relationship with players that they can give it back to him. You saw the player wasn't just sitting there. And by the way, he was yelling at multiple guys there. And... You know, he poked his finger in the one's chest, but the guy was talking back to him. So I think it's indicative of the relationship he has with these guys. You know, he, I read something. Now, Obviously, there's some hit pieces that have been done about Izzo, but there's a lot of guys out there. He's pretty good to the media. So there's guys that stepped up in his defense and said, uh, Coach Izzo actually doesn't do USA basketball because he doesn't want to be away from campus. He likes being around his players all the time. So I think he has a close relationship with a lot of guys. We've never heard that he's some tyrannical douche like Bobby Knight was and if you want to you know go look into the the 30 for 30 that ESPN did on Bob Knight it's pretty pretty crazy to go review all of that kind of stuff. But reality is I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think the optics aren't great, but I'm not one of the people that think uh, he should be suspended or you can't oh, treat players yeah. like that like you know any of that stuff. I have yeah, I have no
2: desire for Tom Izzo to be suspended or to be fired or quit. Like that that I think is taking it too far. I the problem I have is the people who automatically say, "Oh, well, you know, that that's good coaching. That that's how you get yeah, yeah. through to these players." That's where I balk because no, it's not. And and I mean there's science on it that yelling and demeaning someone is not a way to get them to perform better. With that said, I get that there are some people some players, some coaches who operate better that way, and so on an individual basis, if a player, as as a coach, you know this player responds better to being sternly talked to, great. I do think there's a little bit of stop throwing a temper tantrum, like like you you're you're a great coach, like it just seems like it comes off as as. As screaming and yelling, he looks like a toddler to me. Now, he's a great coach, and he's been doing it for years, and he wins. So that's great. And he gets results, so you sort of forgive some of that stuff. But And the people out there who are like, oh, you can't compare it to an office setting. Sure, but he's still a boss. And you wouldn't find that boss doing that anywhere else and have it be acceptable except in sports. And I think that's at least an interesting discussion to have as to why we say this is okay in sports. It's not okay anywhere else. I think that's a discussion worth having. We'll have more of it on the other side of this break. We'll also talk about the next region, talk about some of these lines as well. We have plenty to get to here on Fantasy Sports Day. Dan Strafford, Mike Blewett. Find us at FNTSY Radio on Twitter. Back with more on the other side of this break on Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Mike, are Tom Izzo and his players actually friends or, or is it just some sort of way that Izzo portrays their relationship back here on fantasy sports day and Trevor Mike blew it talking a little Tom Izzo wanted to give you uh, a chance to uh, react there. My, I know I took it uh, up to the top of the break. Any thoughts? Uh, we can also move on. I know you said your piece as well. Don't want to belabor this discussion, yeah. but uh, about Izzo as It's also the interesting fact you've dealt with college sports for a while in in your job. He talked as though the players were employees, right? And he talked as though these players are, you know, his employees. And he wasn't going that route. He wasn't talking about paying players or anything like that. But it is an interesting use case in future discussions around should the players be paid? Are they, in fact, employees? Tom Izzo in front of the media after that game.
1: Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't know that that's a road. Road any coach wants to go down if he starts playing a work dynamic. I. I right. think it's. It's certainly more dictatorial there than anything else. You have to do what the coach says. Like you can't. You're not really going to disobey the coach, especially somebody of his ilk. Uh, right. Not a, a democracy. Right. Uh, I, I have no tolerance for bullies. Really. Uh. You know whether it's in the workplace. Or on the basketball court or, you know, we've seen certainly bully football coaches, guys like Jim McElwain and Brian Kelly just losing their minds on the sidelines and they get criticized rightly for it. I think a lot of old school players just say, hey, man, that's the way it goes. But you are seeing there's clearly different dynamics that exist now with players being from different generations altogether. You know, Tom Izzo could be these guys' grandfather, frankly. So, um, there is going I, – I think what's really interesting is – and I just heard this recently, an anecdote recently about Tom Brady, how – as if the guy isn't, like, perfect enough. Like, he has worked <laughs> to find out how to better communicate with oh, yeah. millennials in order to better communicate with his teammates because when you think about it – I mean, it's really unique. Brady's going to be 42, yep. and he's playing with 23-year-old players. Like, how would yep. he communicate with Sony Michelle? Uh, you know, he's a different guy. Forget the fact that they have different backgrounds or from different parts of the country. He's 20 years older than him almost. So he's worked at trying to learn how to better communicate with millennials. I should probably do that, too. <laughs> <laughs> my kids are from, you know, I'm 40 years older They're than my They're Gen kids. Z, right? So, yeah. uh, but... Uh, So I think that's why it's also stark as well, because there's less and less tolerance for bullying. You see somewhat uh, bullying behavior, and I I think it becomes problematic. For whatever reason, and I'd be the first one to be like, Brian Kelly's a jerk for doing that. But I didn't think it was that crazy. But his background is a part of that. Uh, He doesn't regularly do that stuff. I saw Bob Knight do this stuff all the time. Yeah. Publicly, forget this fact that he choked guys and uh, did bullied guys in inconceivable ways behind closed doors. We saw Bobby Knight just lose his mind on officials, on players regularly. Right. I haven't seen Tom Izzo do that with regularity. Right. And, and you he don't freaked out because they weren't gi- they weren't giving effort. Should he be poking his finger in people's chest? No, but. I think that can be an apology between him and the player behind closed doors. And I don't really have a problem if Tom Izzo tells people to pound sand. He's my player. We have a good relationship. This isn't a problem. You know what
2: I mean? He has to be smart
1: about the way he does it, though, because this is a sort of hot-button issue for some people.
2: I think uh, context is king. I think he nailed it there that uh, we've never once heard about anything in practice or anything behind yeah. closed doors with Izzo. And we don't see it often during games. Uh, you, I I personal, not personal experience, but uh, my fandom is records. We've talked about that. There was the Mike Rice situation where yeah. you saw Rice on the sidelines and he was a bombastic, you know, yeller screamer towards the refs towards anyone that would listen. And then you saw it in practice. And yeah, the edited video was of, Hours upon hours upon hours of practice whittled down to about three minutes, but still that three minutes was really telling of how he treated his players and how he yeah. actually was. And that's where you have to say, "Whoa, this guy is not only trying to mentor these uh, players; he's trying to break them down. Like he's trying to break them um, to listen to him." And that's a big difference between trying to build somebody up. Let's let's move forward. Uh, by the way, this, ha-
1: by, by the way, that's a pretty interesting tale to the discussion because. I went to BC when Tom Coughlin was the football coach, yes. and yep. uh, obviously I have, was friendly with some guys that were on the team. Guys that went on to the NFL. In fact, those Tom Coughlin teams produced a, a ton of NFL players. Uh, he just recruited well, developed them well, and there was a lot of guys from that team. Glenn Foley was a quarterback, and uh, Pete Kendall was a guard in the NFL for more than a dozen years. And uh, Mike Mamula was a first-round draft pick. Right. Yep. Uh, so. Uh Pete Mitchell was a a tight end in the league for a bunch of years, like on and on. I could list probably a dozen guys that made the league. But they weren't like how how tough do you think Tom Coughlin was twenty eight right. years ago? Like the guy was brutal. They were up doing five thirty runs I remember this. Five thirty in the morning runs during the off season in February in Boston. Yep. You know how cold it is up there? <laughs> I yeah. Five thirty in the morning. In February, you, yeah, like you live there. It's insane that they were doing that around the reservoir, of BC, freezing. Oh. The wind. The wind. Like, yeah. that was part of the deal. Mandatory. I don't know that you can do that now. The NCAA rules are actually different, so you can't have these guys doing certain yeah workouts limited yeah. workouts. But I mean, it's just a different time, and I I I try to be. Progressive in the way I'm <laughs> approaching it, so I, I, it's it's odd that I'm somewhat on the defending is outside, but I don't right. really think it's that big of a deal. I do think you to your to your point, context is king. So, anyway,
2: I uh, we we'll we'll swap some more stories about coaches uh, later on uh, off air. Because I don't think wise, anybody uh, liked him. By the way,
1: Coughlin, they just knew. I'm sure that he knew what he was doing. Right,
2: and there there's again. Uh, there are, you know office dynamics and i know people don't like comparing office work to sports because of the elite athlete side but office dynamics do matter in the hierarchical way people are treated and there are some bosses who get by by just being you know great at what Bullies. they do but a terrible human being <laughs> like and yeah. so that that works because they get I've had results. tons of bully bosses yes exactly that's right i don't like any of those guys i'll never say a nice uh, word about them where do we want to go next west or do we want to go south Let's go south?
1: Yeah, sure. Let's go Talk south. Talk about, uh, yeah, Iowa beating Cincinnati. That was a shocker to me. Uh, yep. I expected Cincinnati to win that. So as you can tell, I'm talking about all the games I got wrong. I'm doing really well in my brackets <laughs> so far. Um, I So I have a personal connection to the UVA team. So I was – thank God they came back. But I was saying to Dan during the break, I was watching the – UVA game, I was out yesterday with a friend just watching all the games at a pub in Manhattan, and there were a group of UVA fans there, and the look on their face in the first half was just – Can't imagine. They were like – they couldn't even talk. They weren't even really talking to one another. They were down 13 in the first half. They couldn't hit a shot, and then finally it started to thaw a little bit at the end of the first and then obviously they took off in the second half my uh, a friend i went to high school with is the stepdad of ty jerome It's just a weird personal connection so uh i would felt really horrible for them last year and uh you know i hope they go as far as they can this year i i don't think that i still don't think their style lends them to winning a tournament yep like this i think they'll keep ripping off 27 win seasons because I think Bennett is a really good coach and it obviously works in the regular season. It's just when you get into tournament play and you have to win six games, do they have enough offensive firepower to get there? Right. I don't know.
2: I don't know that they have that one guy to carry them when they play Portland. Right. Like, and that's not the style of team he's built. Um, They have good to great players who on their own could do some big things. But I don't know there's the one guy to lean on to really make that difference in a game against a better team. Now, in this one, they pulled it together, uh, clearly got it done in the second half. They'll face Oklahoma uh, here in uh, round two. That's tomorrow night, that game. Uh, Oregon over Wisconsin. Listen, Wisconsin's always been that team, and this goes back to you know, 10, 15 years ago, where they get in the tournament and fall flat on their face. Uh, again, a team that style of play doesn't necessarily lend itself uh, to tournament play. I expected Wisconsin to win here. But then they've uh, but had some 72... good runs.
1: To, then the, yeah. the, the funny part about that is the Sam Decker team and then the one yeah, that's true. 19 years ago. like I remember the 2000 Final Four, they made it. It, it is funny because... The the public money was on Oregon, and it right. got to the point there's so much public money in Oregon, and it drove the spread down, and I actually took Wisconsin yesterday. Um, so I got that wrong. They just didn't play a good game. And uh, that game was always a coin flip for me because if you look at my brackets, I have Oregon winning a couple games. But when it came down, I just thought I had value Wisconsin at minus right. one and a half. It came so far down. I was like, all right. I'm going to hedge the hedge against my brackets the other way, and what I th- what the one thing you asked me about the brackets, like the one takeaway I've really had is that it's all a crapshoot when it gets to the tournament because you've had right, the white yep. hot teams, you've had white hot teams lose, and a couple of them advance. You know that you could make the you could make the case for Oregon's like they're really not that good. They just got on this run in the Pac-12 tournament, and that's not even a good conference this year. So people are taking Oregon. They don't know anything about them except what they saw last weekend. And Wisconsin's just a better team. Yet Oregon continues to stay hot. Wafford is one. Wofford hasn't lost a game yet this year, this calendar year. Their four losses were all in non-conference play back in December, November, and all to ranked teams. Like, Wofford's good. And they blitzed Seton Hall. That game wasn't close. I watched them play. They were a better team than the whole way. Uh, And then I was thinking one other team. Belmont was a team that ripped off a lot of wins this year. And they just didn't get it done against Maryland. They didn't hit from outside. Buffalo, another hot team. They they kicked Arizona State's tail in the second half yesterday. So, I'm saying all this is to say there's some hot teams that just bad matchup or a bad game finally. And uh, these other hot teams keep it rolling, Wofford, Oregon, Buffalo.
2: No no team hotter though than UC Irvine. <laughs> who <laughs> beat yeah. Kansas State 70 to 64 I think it's their 17th straight win uh here in the tournament. Now it's them. a 12-13 matchup. Uh they get Oregon and, and l- listen, Oregon has talented players and uh that's my first listen of the show. I'm going to try to keep those down today. But uh <laughs> the the bowl bowl injury and what's happening with Oregon Do you see this as a toss-up matchup? I haven't seen a line as of yet for tomorrow's game, but uh, do you see this as a toss-up, or do you think UC UC Irvine's run ends here and Oregon makes their way into uh, the, the Sweet
1: 16? I would pick Oregon here. I just think the overall athleticism could carry them through. Keep in mind that UC Irvine was playing a Kansas State team without one of their starters. Uh, Dean Wade was out again, missed the yep. tournament for the second year in a row. So it was a hampered Kansas State team. Uh, I watched a lot of that game, and Irvine outplayed them. So uh, kudos to Irvine. Um, and I'll give them a shot against Oregon because of what I just said about Oregon. That, But uh, if you're making me pick, I'm going to pick Oregon straight up. We'll see if I can get a line on that one. Uh, more. No, I am only seeing today's games right now. So I'll try to find. Uh, tomorrow's games, uh, maybe during the break, so we can keep going through it.
2: Yep, we have uh, a couple more games here in the South. Uh, Villanova gets by St. Mary's, 61-57. Purdue over Old Dominion. We talked about Iowa a bit already. Want to talk Tennessee specifically. So uh, Villanova-Purdue is today. Is a tonight game? Uh, breaking down the way the bracket uh, has gone. Uh, listen, <laughs> and there's the second one. Uh, there's uh, Jay Wright in this game. We actually talked about I believe we talked about him. Oh, I talked about him with uh, Keith Yerzari uh, for his Hofstra roots. Um, Jay Wright's a great coach, and Villanova has talented players. It wouldn't surprise me if Nova was the sort of team that came in and and reeled off a a run to the the Elite Eight or or even Final Four here. I know it's a tough uh, bracket with Virginia and and Tennessee, but that wouldn't shock me. And Purdue, again, Big Ten teams in this tournament, I always sort of fade away from simply because the, the way that league plays uh, they don't necessarily play as well here in the tournament, simply uh, from a, a star power perspective. Uh, any take here on Nova versus Purdue?
1: The Villanova Saint Mary's game was a really hard game for me. Every time I got to the bracket, I was trying to think, and I just I, I ended up picking Villanova because of Jay Wright over Randy Bennett. Which Randy Bennett's a good coach. Jay Wright's a great coach. Uh, you know, I'm not denigrating Randy Bennett in any way. I just like, I feel like their experience from last year, there are some holdover players, their experience from last year with Jay Wright would just get them through. I loved the under in that game, and then it came under, so I won a little bit there. Uh, That under was like 129, and they didn't get particularly close, so I don't think Nova's going to get on a big run here, but it won't shock me if they beat Purdue. I I just, I, I would... You know, I'd like to see what I I need to see what that spread is. Let me see. It's right here. Three and a half. Nova getting three and a half. I wouldn't want to lay the points. I'll tell you that. Yeah, That
2: complicates (laughs) things.
1: But I, I don't have Villanova doing well in my brackets particularly well. Maybe I have them winning a couple of games in one of the brackets. But overall, I've been giving Purdue the chance to go on a run. I still think Tennessee is a little Fugazy, but I do think that their bracket lines up for them to go far. If Tennessee goes to the Elite Eight, it won't surprise me. But they almost lost to Colgate last night, and they may have lost because the kid on Colgate had Pink Eye.
2: Yep, and that's that's the story I wanted to hit on. That game was a fun one. I watched that from about halfway through the first half, uh Tennessee absolutely blowing out Colgate to end the half and then the second half starts and Colgate's defense was amazing. Like they, they just, they own the paint. Uh, they're big guys. They were trapping and doubling on the low block right away. And they were just moving they were playing a two, one, two zone, uh, which looked like a mess at first when they first got into it uh, in the second half. But you saw it flowing. They, you saw it working uh, and their star player, a transfer from Northwestern had uh, bad contacts. They kept saying his contacts wouldn't stay in his eyes. His contacts wouldn't stay in his eyes. And you saw him on the bench and he was honestly ripping at his eyes with that towel. And he was full on like just, and he had to keep asking one of the coaches what the score was. He couldn't see at all, and here yeah. his his team making this run against the number two seed. Tennessee gets behind, uh, you know. A, a, a big, what was it, I think, four points and was able to come back. We'll talk more on the other side of the spring. I want to break down this game a little bit and see what Tennessee really has in store for the rest of this tournament. We'll touch on the rest of the regions. We'll talk some Major League Baseball and some NFL and some NBA on the rest of the show. Back with more on the other side of this. Dan Strapper, Mike at Fantasy Sports Today.